the Ghost Goal Podcast. A weekend chock full of Premier League derbies did not disappoint, as Manchester United came back late in the Manchester derby to defeat Manchester City, pulling to within a point of the champions and setting the stage for Arsenal to re-establish their eight-point lead at the top of the table when they went to Tottenham on Sunday and got a 2-0 win in the North London derby. There's been all that going on and much more action up and down the table. Don't sound so happy, Alex, during the intro. Or you, you need to be, you need to put more emphasis and more excitement when you're talking about Arsenal winning the North London Derby like that. Away from hey home. man, I'm doing my best. Welcome to episode 393 of the Ghost Call Podcast. Uh, that voice you just heard was uh, Javier, uh, who is obviously beaming off of that North London Derby when I mentioned. Uh, I'm Alex, uh, slightly less depressed than in uh, recent episodes. Uh, where Chelsea were losing, it seemed like, every game. We've got a win. We've got a new 100 million pound player. It's been a decent weekend for us both, Javier. But uh, yeah, how are you doing? Obviously great. Uh, you know, ecstatic with that first win at, in the away at Tottenham's new stadium. I think we've won there in like a cup or something, but we haven't won there in the Premier League. And it's been since 2014 since Arsenal's won at, you know, at Tottenham. Since any team has won an away fixture in the North London Derby. Either of you guys. It had been since 2014. And I mean, so both, I mean, I guess we, we should just start off with, yeah, with that game, that, right? We I mean, we'll get to yeah, the Manchester the, Derby in a the, second. The, the game of the weekend. And, you know, it was all the pressure on Arsenal, right? City had just dropped points. United are coming, creeping up behind us. They're our next game. Um, you know, if we dropped points in this North London Derby, it was you know the, the the pressure could have been tremendous right from the teams behind us but uh i mean just i think near flawless performance i thought you know the way that we started the game immediately off the bat just silenced the crowd just controlled the game from the 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 moment the the, the ball was kicked off we were winning every duel uh you know keeping possession well making the right decisions and putting them under pressure. And they went into their shell. I mean, three minutes into the game, they were already, every man is behind the ball. And that pressure, although the soccer goal was very lucky, you could tell it was coming. I mean, there was just wave after wave after wave of chance. And it was technically a Hugo Lloris own goal. Yeah, yeah. The soccer, I just meant the soccer creation of the goal, not, not sure, his yeah. goal. But, and then after that, I mean, it we kept it up, just didn't, just relentless, you know. I think when Arteta first started, there was a lot of times where we'd go up one nil, and then the team would kind of revert or stop, and not keep up the same energy that they did when they would first start the game. So we wouldn't go and get two or three goals. We would only get one, and then we would kind of try to go defensive and end up inevitably conceding a goal or losing the game, you know, after being up one nil, and. The biggest difference in in this team now is that, you know, once we get got the second goal, uh, you know, for the rest of the half, it was, you know, control till pretty much the last minute where Kane got that header on on target. That was pretty much the first glimpse that Tottenham had of goal that entire half. First yeah, half, yeah. For a whole first half, Tottenham were just kept at bay, completely outplayed. And the second half, I, I, I wasn't like too in love with sitting back and just kind of letting Tottenham go at us. Bramsdale had to pull out a really, really, you know, fantastic performance. Tottenham, 
you know, a lot of there was a lot of elastic tackles from Gabrielle, from Ben White. Great defending, but a little bit of a risky tactic because if Tottenham had ever gotten, you know, the the one goal in that game, you felt that you know that suddenly something could have happened. Um, so while we controlled relatively well that second half, it was still kind of on a knife edge where if they got a goal, like you you felt like they could have gotten a second goal, and then there was you know there could have been a draw. So. Right, and you needed Ramsdale to be at his best to you know keep it from getting more nervy like that. And I think, and I think a, a product of that is you know we have we do have a few players out from injury, mainly you know like Gabriel Jesus. We didn't have too many options off the bench. We need players that we can bring on in these situations in the second half. If we you know completely outplay a team in the first half, you have to be able to keep up that level, keep up that energy. We just don't have the quality off the bench right now. Um, I know we brought on Tierney and Tomiyasu, and they both helped. You know. Uh, to keep defensively things sound as well. I mean, Zinchenko, he's whenever he plays in the team, when if he stays fit, it's you know, he's monster. I really hope he's fit for the United game. You know, he was kind of limping at the end there off the pitch. Definitely need him because he's monstrous. But Tierney's not a bad backup to, to come in if uh, if that ends up being the case. Yeah, I don't think it, in terms of specifically Zinchenko versus Tierney, I don't think it's necessarily that Zinchenko is like a better player defensively. It's that he enables you guys to control games more in possession. Yeah, it's just, and that's just like, you can't press that's the guy. half the battle he's in terms of your defending. Yeah, he's so tactically When you're playing good. under a manager who learned from Pep Guardiola, like the best way to defend is to not let them have the ball. That's it's a very simple like tenet of those guys approach to the game and I thought that was like the complete downfall of Spurs and I'm, I'm actually starting to think that Conte might have reached like a Mourinho at Manchester United kind of phase in his career where th- this stubbornness and refusal to deviate from the, the the five at the back that he's you know had so much success with over his career at multiple different clubs it's uh it's it's really what cost them like they, they didn't need Purely tactically speaking, I know they obviously play that system and they're they're, they're very used to that system, but it, it wasn't necessary against Arsenal. And I just don't think the the strategy of sitting back and like giving Arsenal possession, like or at least not challenging them further up the pitch for possession, I just don't think that's going to be the way any team gets success against Arsenal. I guess they get unless they get like really really lucky. Yeah, just completely handing you guys midfields. I, I, I don't mean to say that like even if they had tried another uh, way of playing, tried four at the back with maybe an extra midfield in there, midfielder in there, they they, they would have beaten you guys. They they probably still could have ended up losing, but it wouldn't have looked like so sad in the process. Like I, I've just seen this type of game play out this way for Tottenham too many times this season. I was about to it say, was kind of like the we, Chelsea we, we've game. We've been talking about like except in the Chelsea game they got this. lucky with us fucking up and them not getting They've a player the sent off and instead so scoring an season, equalizer. Right? And I've been saying at some point it's going to catch up to them. It caught up to them in the Brighton game, right? They lost that one. Um and then now in this game as well, you know, they go down and they can't make a comeback. You know, it it's a bad habit that they've been into. They haven't been able to to get away from it. You know, they've had this one game, the Crystal Palace game, where they scored four goals and everyone said, ah, oh, everything's back to normal. Like, no, you knew that that was bullshit, that, you know, they conceded. Oh, it was the uh, the Villa game that they, uh, Sorry, Villa, they lost not, just uh, before that yeah. uh, Crystal Palace game. The Villa game. But yeah, that, that was another one where they went down and then they couldn't, they didn't end up being able to come back. And so now it's, now it's starting to, 
you know, become look worse because they had Kulishevsky, they had Son, they had Kane. There was no excuse. Like they had all their players here. You know, they had a fully fit yeah, squad. Yeah, and it wasn't really until they started making like the more aggressive moves, which like they kind of made identical moves to. I think that like, Pape Sarga earlier was, in the was season in, like, when midfield he looked good. It, sure, but it, it doesn't but really Sessignon matter if you're only playing Doherty with two not, in midfield. Not great. I mean, it was, it was. Yeah, I'm just saying this was ident- almost identical to the Chelsea draw they got in the second game of the season at Stamford Bridge, in that they were, well, they were down one nil and then two uh, one in that Chelsea game. But they, the the thing that like shifted the whole momentum of the game and got them a chance to get more in the front foot was bringing on players like Richarlison and Perisic and just going more direct as a result and, and going more direct specifically with Kulusevsky. That same thing happened in this game, but they just didn't end up getting the end product that they did in the, the Chelsea game. But it, it just begs the question, like, why not try starting games that way? <laughs> you know, it seems like a very yeah, simple I mean, we've asked like, that before. thing why to throw at them. Why can't they play how they did in the second half in the first half? I don't get it. Um, you know, they had six, seven good chances in the second half they created a lot you know they deserved a goal for sure but i don't yeah i'm just saying it's because conte's stubborn it is he's too stubborn he plays a certain he, way in the first half and then decides to play a different way in the second half it's 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 too noticeable of a pattern um and too big of a change in the team and the way the team plays and yeah it's got to change who knows i don't know what's what it's going to take but and whereas earlier in the season we were criticizing tottenham within the context of like challenging for the title was like their goal for this season. A lot of people were picking them to, to be one of those challengers. But during that time, we still thought like, yeah, this, this isn't uh, like title winning form from Tottenham, but they'll probably still get top four. Now we're at the point after this loss where, you know, they're the team on the outside looking in at the top four. It's shaping up to be Newcastle, Man United, Manchester City and Arsenal. And, you know, unless one of those four teams gets a huge dip in form soon, you would be ill-advised to, to to pick against those four teams finishing in the top four. So Tottenham need to figure something out quickly, or or else the like the top four thing that we just sort of took for granted with them. We just kind of thought they have Conte, they'll get top four, they'll get into the Champions League again, and that will keep Conte around a little bit longer. If that doesn't happen, then Conte's gone at the end of the season probably because he has higher standards. And he seems like a little bit like standoffish. He seems like almost like a footballing consultant to Tottenham. Like it's not really his team. He's very quick to sort of diagnose the problems at Tottenham with no sort of ownership of them. He's not like, oh, we are not, like not good enough in these phases. He's kind of like, this is just like the level at this club and, and like the players need to raise that level so it's not acceptable anymore. Yeah, I don't know. It just doesn't. It seems like it's it's a relationship that's on the rocks that could be done by the end of the season. Alex, we have uh, where do Tottenham go from there? We have six more points than the Invincibles had at this point. All right, <laughs> not saying anything, but just just a known fact. I saw that uh, on the right. Yeah, no, tonight. I mean, that's pretty I, nice. You're right. The Invincibles actually points. weren't that good of a team. The, the Invincibles seven. weren't that good. It's a bullshit nickname. They lost in the FA Cup and in the Champions League to Chelsea that season. Ah. They weren't invincible at all. Yeah, that's, that's that's my hot take. Invincibles, highly overrated title winners. <laughs> All right, Manchester, the Manchester Derby. Jealous much, We've got to talk about Jealous it. Jealous much. Your one loss no, that you had in that Mourinho yeah. season. Ten, ten minutes, ten minutes on Arsenal uh, and Tottenham is enough for uh, for the week for me. 
Um, this Manchester derby was, I wouldn't say the most eventful derby, but the last 15, 20 minutes was, you know, pure Premier League cinema. It's, uh, it was pretty, seemingly all Manchester City in possession for most of the game with some good counterattacking opportunities by Manchester United. City raised their level again early in the second half and were building up to the Jack Grealish goal that they eventually got. And then one big decision uh, leads to the Manchester United equaliser scored by Bruno Fernandes. Uh, it looked like and was seemingly called in the moment that uh, Marcus Rashford had uh, been offside and had uh, you know, impeded the defence before Bruno Fernandes could uh, run onto it and score. Um, but the referee talked to his linesman about it. I guess they went to VAR and uh, VAR decided to let the goal stand. And uh, a lot of people disagreed with this decision. Oh, such myself a clear included. offside, ridiculous decision. Just, I mean, it's so clear because Rashford runs onto the ball. I mean, you see, do you remember when we were kids, like referees, if you even run like toward the ball that they call offside, you don't have to, you don't have to like touch the ball. If you make a play towards the ball, it, it, it's considered offside. So yeah, if you like affect the defenders and goalkeepers' ability uh, or their if they reaction have to, shift their move to in how any to defend way, the exactly. situation, yeah, then you're and affecting Marcus play. Rashford. Though he didn't technically touch the ball, he was standing. He was running over it. He was like running onto the ball, and was pr- pretty much his whole body was over it. And he was acting like he was setting himself up to take the shot until the very last second when Bruno Fernandez comes in and, and scores. That was a good finish by Fernandez. But as a defender, like you can't, you can't make an argument even if Rashford doesn't touch the ball that he doesn't affect how players like Akanji and uh, Ederson are, you know, trying to defend in that moment. He is affecting them, so he is offside. So it, it, it's frustrating. It, it's frustrating in two ways. It's, it's frustrating because you see offsides, like goals chalked off for offside for much less, like a player who's like barely in the goalkeeper's few but you know they just say oh he is standing there he is affecting the goalkeeper's view he's offside that gets called all the time but something like this they decided no 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 we'll we'll let this one go Uh, and then the second way it's frustrating is that it's a clear sign that Manchester United are back Javier because uh we all know in the the bullshit calls the successful days these kinds of decisions were you know Every single time there was a big game at Old Trafford, some sort of marginal decision like this will always go in Manchester United's favor. So congratulations, United fans. I mean, we may sound bitter, and uh, I don't blame you for uh, thinking that, but uh, it it is the truth. That's how you know you've got your mojo back when uh, referees are too scared to make decisions against you in uh, fear of their own lives getting out of that stadium. Um, but but I mean that being said, that's one bad decision. Manchester United, you know, did I think have the better chances in the first half and the second half? Were pretty much like deserved winners uh, in terms of how they like seized the momentum from that goal and went and got the winner straight away afterwards. It, so you you got to be you got to be impressed by them, and they they nullified a lot of Manchester City's impact, especially from players like Foden and Haaland up top. They they had a really tough time of things, so. Yeah, it kind of feels, I feel a little, little bitter saying it, but Manchester United, they, they looked really good in this game and probably deserved the win regardless of regardless of that like crazy decision that was so happy uh, they got that win. To get back that into so it. huge now, eight points clear. I mean, and, and everyone was saying if United can win here and you're calling City in the title race and uh, United have, you know, they're one point behind Manchester City. 
Newcastle are one point behind Manchester City. If they're all in the title race, then it's a four-way race. Well, yeah, I think what this was the start of people mentioning Manchester United in the title race because, you know, before this weekend, a lot of the games they'd been playing since they came back from the World Cup were games you would assume they, they should win anyway. You know, Bournemouth, Nottingham Forest, those types of teams. Uh, Wolves who were, were down in the relegation zone. Uh, but yeah, the, with a statement win like this, now I think you can you can reasonably ask the question about their title credentials if they go to Arsenal and they beat you guys for the second time this season. Now, I mean, whether you think that's going to happen is, is another thing, and we can get to that in a bit. But I, I think you can first bring up the question this weekend and next weekend if they manage to follow it up with another win, then you, you can maybe start getting serious about United's title credentials. Yeah, I agree with that. And I mean, with Newcastle as well, I mean, they didn't lose to us. Um, they haven't con- Newcastle hasn't conceded a goal in the Premier League since November 6th when they won 4-1 against Southampton. That's that's crazy. I mean, they defensively have been unbelievable. I think it's now... I mean, in this last game against Fulham, though, Mitrovic had a penalty, uh, scored it, but he ricocheted off his foot, and then it was called, It was disallowed. It was a free kick because uh, you can't hit the ball into your other foot um, in a penalty. So uh, they got very lucky to keep a clean sheet this time, but... The penalty was kind of bullshit, but I think Newcastle as well. They're you know they're borderline title contenders. But if they can you know they drew with Manchester City, they drew with us. They haven't lost their games against the other you know quote unquote title title prospects. They've still got a lot of big games left this season. If they can somehow step up, I mean they didn't lose to United either, right? At Old Trafford, they got a nil nil draw. They beat Chelsea. They beat Tottenham. They beat Brentford five one. I mean why not? I know they lost to Liverpool, but. It's the only like big team, big game that they've lost this season. That's the only game they've lost this season. It was a last minute <laughs> like winner. So you can't discount Newcastle if you're if you're talking about City and United in the title race. Yeah, I guess it's that Newcastle don't have the wins against the other top sides like Manchester United do. Manchester United now have either. wins against they've Arsenal and Manchester City. You know, been, no, no, I, I get I get it, and I think that is impressive. that's valuable in in and of itself, but. Uh, with like the form of just straight wins that we, we've seen from Manchester United recently, and you add on top of that, they're the only team to beat Arsenal and uh, Manchester City this league season. I think that's what's making people and you know the history of it as well. And the, you know people are more used to the idea of Manchester United being in a title race, I guess, than they are Newcastle. But yeah, I, I guess I'm going to say I'm going to start giving United a chance if they can. Pull off a win at oh, the Emirates, gonna wipe which no the one has managed to do this season. We're going to expose the shit out of them. We'll wipe. The uh, but real quick, just for Manchester City, I've been hearing a lot of people criticize like players like Holland for this game. Do, do you think he is the problem, or do you? It's like the Lukaku at Chelsea question: Is it the players' problem, or is it the team's problem for not giving him the proper service? No, so I, I would I, lean towards the latter. I, personally. Yeah, obviously, I think he's not getting the service right now. Um, but I mean, this team was so stacked. They had you know Mares, Foden up front with Bernardo Silva, De Bruyne, Rodri behind them. Cancelo and Walker started. So you know, I was complaining that he was starting Lewis and. Uh, you know, Cole Palmer and Gomez, but he started off his full team, you know, with Akanji and, and I don't really like Ake, but he seems to like Ake a lot. I don't know why Laporte hasn't been getting into the team. 
Well, Laporte, Diaz, Stones have been like in and out at different points right. because of injuries. Right. So it's like Akanji and Ake are the most reliably fit players. Um, and Ake, actually, I don't think he's a terrible fourth center back option. He's no, he's not a bad fourth center back, but he option. shouldn't be starting for you against Manchester United. And yeah, I thought I thought City were kind of dull though. Um, I thought De Bruyne was probably the best player on the, for them. And he still looks like a great player. I, I, I just think it was kind of an off day for Manchester City, and the momentum was completely killed by that call. So I don't I don't know what to take too much. I'm not going to say that they're like in like... It is weird that they've only won once in their last four games. Sorry, twice. Okay, no. But they have had... They lost to Brentford, and they drew yeah, with... Yeah, you forget they played Chelsea twice. They drew with Everton. <laughs> of course they won those games. And then, um, you know, they beat Leeds and Chelsea, but... Those were kind of narrow wins, and they're not on amazing form right now. So I don't know what to think of City right now yet. I think it's, like I mentioned with Lukaku at Chelsea, just fresh off of the frustration of watching that at Chelsea last this season. Is, well, this is the beginning of their hard run, and they lost their first uh, game. Just No, but, but given given my experience and frustration with trying to incorporate a striker that needs, you know, needs to be force-fed the ball for you to get the... Uh, you know the benefit of of having him in the team. Holland's obviously much better than Lukaku, but you still need to make a concerted effort to create chances for him. You you can't just sort of say, "All right, we'll keep possession," and you know when the if the chance falls to him, then hopefully he takes it. You could see right after uh, Manchester United equalized in that game, they went right back to getting the ball to uh, uh, Holland at the top of the box, just getting it to him in any sort of situation within 20 yards of, of the goal because they, they, they know that that's their best uh, opportunity to get the lead back and, and win the game. But where was that for the first, you know, 70 minutes of the game? Like, I think Holland, like, maybe had, like, w- like one half chance before that. But the fact that, like, their reaction to United equalizing was, you know, to refocus on creating chances for Holland, it just... It's uh, it's not a great sign, but it, it's kind of a balancing act you have to do when you're in a city in a team like Manchester City. You still want to be focused on keeping possession and controlling the game that way. You can't get too like uh, put into like a sense of. Um, what, what do you make of this pep drama well, though? Being like, ah, we're not going to win the leagues. It's another team's turn. You know, we're looking at other competitions, but. Uh, I mean, pep mind games. Yeah. He's 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 very capable of mind games. Usually, he does the kill them with kindness thing, where he. You know, tells like, I don't know, Nathan Redmond, he's the greatest player he's ever seen or some shit like that. Like he like, he, he does that all the time and does it to managers as well. Yeah, I, I, they're definitely not out of it. We just hit the halfway mark of the season. They still haven't even played Arsenal yet. They have two games against you guys that could theoretically, if they win those, they could get it back down to a two point lead. So it's there's very much still in this. It's just that, like you said, they still need to round into the form that we know they can reach. All right, well, let's move on because there was tons of other games. Like we mentioned in our our relegation uh, battle discussion last week, there was a huge game at the bottom of the table. Everton, who were in 18th place going into the game, they hosted Southampton, who were bottom at the uh, the time of kickoff, uh, went ahead 1-0 in the game, uh, and then fell apart in the second half behind a uh, James Ward-Prowse, uh, a hell of a brace that he scored uh, to get Southampton their first win uh, at uh, Everton, I think in like 25 years or something. So really bad day for Everton. I, I don't think they're bottom yet, but they're now level on points with Southampton. And those two teams are 19th and 20th, uh, respectively, in the league. 
Uh, but I, frankly, I'm surprised. I'm sitting here surprised that we haven't gotten the news that Frank Lampard has been sacked. It's Monday night. You'd think after a loss like that, a home game against the bottom team in the in the league, when Everton hadn't won a game themselves in in weeks, they would be expected to win that game or at the very least draw and be kind of upset with the draw. But no, instead they lose. And now uh, it's not even surprising to see Everton down in the, the relegation zone anymore. It's kind of to be expected when you watch them week in and out. Did you get a chance to watch this game? And, uh, I did. If so, um, what did you, you think? Know, and, and- just adding from what what you said, I thought Everton were really good in the first half. Um, I thought they were going to go on and like win this game, but Southampton have some quality off the bench. Um, they had a pretty good starting lineup as well, and I mean Ward Prowse, he's two away from David Beckham now with those free kicks, two beautiful goals. I you know he's been huge yeah, for the first one wasn't even a free kick it was just like a great like dummy to send right. godfrey and then, and then slotted slot in the corner i mean it was it's just beautiful i just huge player ward prowse for southampton if they if they stay up the season it's going to be because of him and this was this game tightened the table up so much because southampton were you know rock bottom and now they're at 15 points with like three or four other teams there's another three or four teams on 17 points so there's just two points between seven teams right now and this is going to be a crazy relegation fight now. You know, you could see this going down to the wire for all of these these seven teams that are in there, even Leeds that are, you know, just right out of there too as well. So And uh, similarly in the other, like, well, there were a couple of like relegation six-pointers this weekend, but the other like big one was uh, Wolves beating West Ham 1-0. Wolves went from like in the relegation zone to jumping West Ham with that win. Um, I mean, they're still very much like close to each other, but that that was part of sort of like the tightening of uh, what is it? Let me just pull up the table and, and confirm. It's from I was about to say. I mean, uh, Wolves one 14th, loss and four from fourteenth down to twentieth is separated by two points. <laughs> Leeds are, are on seventeen, and then uh, in fourteenth place, and then all the way down to Southampton with fifteen points in last place. But you know. Everton are have slightly better goal difference than them, and West Ham have a slightly better goal difference than uh, than Everton. But they're all on 15 points in, in the bottom three right now. Bournemouth are just outside of that. After uh, their loss to Brentford, they're on 16 points. Wolves jumped out of the relegation places with that win. Um, but, you know, it's, it's still really tight. I'd be really nervous if I was any of those teams, even up to Nottingham Forest, who have started to put together like a good run of form. Well, I was about to say, so Wolves got Leicester. their, you know, new manager bump because Lopetegui got, you know, they've only lost one game in four here. Um, they beat Everton, which is a huge relegation six-pointer. They lost to United just barely, you know, 1-0. Drew a Villa away, not a not a bad result, and then beating West Ham at home, another you know relegation team right now in and around them, um, huge wins. And I think for Wolves, I think I'm you know they're I think they just they signed Paulo Sarabia today. You know, it looks like they're they keep trying to sign more strikers and and attackers and try to just get more goals into this team. And I think Lopetegui is the type of manager that he'll be able to get get a few more goals into this team and. I think Wolves would just be safe. I I, I I like what they're showing right now. I think they're going to be really hard to beat for the rest of the season. Uh, I think they're going to go back to being not quite as good as you know as they were under Nuno, but I could see them end up being one of these teams that pulls away um, from the rele- other relegation teams um, if they you know. Let's see how they do in the city game 
you know, because they play Manchester yeah, City it's next. It's going to be tough. I mean, because not only do they have Manchester City in the league this uh, Sunday, uh, they also have a replay they, they of that FA well Cup. usually do well against City, though. Yeah, which is just like... Yeah, well, they have a replay of that FA Cup game against uh, Liverpool, but that's going to be back um, in Wolverhampton. So uh, that's going to be this midweek, I think, Tuesday. Uh, so it may have already happened by the time you're listening to this. Uh, but yeah, the, the point is they've got a tough schedule, so we'll see you know, how well they're able to maintain this like boost in form that they've they've seen. Um, it's going to, the relegation six pointers are continuing into next weekend. I do just want to mention that West Ham and Everton, who both just lost those like huge six pointers last weekend, they're going to be facing each other uh, Saturday at 10 a.m. So that's going to be an absolute must watch. Um, and then, you know, if you're also interested, Bournemouth, Nottingham Forest is also going to be at uh, 10 a.m. on Saturday. Speaking of Nottingham Forest, Alex, they got a big win against Leicester kind of emphasizing that they're, you know, not going to be. Remember, we were a little scared. Now they've racked up a few wins in a row here and kind of pulled themselves out of that relegation zone. I think they're on 20 points. So, you know, they're still only five points off the drop, but they're starting to round. You know, they've only lost one out of the last five games. That was against Manchester United. You know, they've gotten wins against Palace. They drew Chelsea. They beat Southampton away, and then they just got another clean sheet and beat Leicester. So, you know, some some happiness for Nottingham Forest fans because it looked like for a while that things just weren't clicking. And then this run of games, I mean, they've picked up 10 points in their last, 10 out of the last, you know, of, of these last 20 points that they have, they've picked 10 of them up in their last five games. So that should tell you, like, you know, this is a very good run of form for what they have had so far this season. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, they're not they're not out of it. By any means, no, but it's just—it's probably just nice but for just them nice, that they're nice, not like part little, of those seven gap. teams. Right, they're not part of those seven teams that are within two points of each they other. Could drop in into the relegation zone any given twentieth. Right, at any game week, if one or two teams win, their team could go into the relegation zone. And there's something mental about your team being in the relegation zone, especially when it like it goes on for weeks and weeks and weeks, where it can just like weigh down on your team and eventually like. You know, mentally, the players think that they're worse than they are, play worse than they are, and then they get relegated. So you don't want to stay down there too long. Did you have Southampton uh, going down in that uh, last spot? I know, I know I'm backtracking to that Everton-Southampton game a little bit, but I can't remember who you had. But I know that I didn't have Southampton getting relegated, and I'm, I'm feeling good about that still. Um, I think I had Bournemouth, Everton, and Leeds uh, as my three to get relegated. But whatever. I, I, I'm also Southampton. They don't even have Orsic yet, who we talked about on the last pod. He's not like fit enough yet, and he hadn't played since the World Cup. So they're still trying to get him into fitness. But he's going to be a huge boost to them once once he comes back. And with Ward Prowse playing this way, uh, things are looking up for Southampton after like a pretty bad start for Nathan Jones. Before we move on from the relegation I think I did conversation, have I'm not sure though. You did okay. Well, before we move on from the relegation conversation, I sent this to you like right before we started uh, recording, Javier, but there's a big rumor uh, going around that David Moyes is about to be sacked by West Ham and Rafa Benitez is going to come in as the new head coach. They, uh, they they stopped betting on a lot of betting companies uh, in England. Uh, they stopped like taking bets for David Moyes to be sacked. So that's usually a pretty good indicator that something's about to happen. Uh, what would you think of that move? Would you think that would be a positive move for West Ham or or what? I mean, it, it does look like they need a change right now. You know, he has had his run in the team. I think he's built a very good team on paper, and I think they'd be good with, with uh, new ideas. You know, I think Rafa would be a good fit. He's a good coach. 
You know, I don't think he was a good fit at Everton when he was there. Um, but he's done good jobs in the past. I think he was pretty good when he was on Napoli, right? Um, yeah, and Newcastle. And Newcastle. So, yeah, I uh, he'd be a welcome back into the Premier League. He'd be another difficult manager we play against uh, week in and week out. So, yeah, it just seems like a like a like a different version of David Moyes, though, right? Like, no, same kind I think of he's philosophy. he might be a better fit with some of these players, though. Like, I feel like some that like, he speaks Spanish. Not only that, but because a bunch of like, there's a lot of like creative players in the side. And I feel like David Moyes isn't the most like creative and ingenious. Like, he's never really had exciting like attacking footballing sides. I don't know. They were pretty exciting last year. Just they seem to have dropped dropped off the face of a cliff like this year. I guess they're uh, the the disappointment of going out in the semifinal. Of that uh, I remember when they wanted like, the eighty million for Jared Bowen this summer. Up. Gonna have to drop that yeah. price. Oof, thank God, thank God, no one went in and uh, did that because he's. I don't remember him scoring this year. I'm sure he has, but I don't remember it very well. All right. Well, one other game I do just want to mention: Chelsea finally got a uh, a win after a pretty porous run of results, beating Crystal Palace one nil on Sunday behind a Kai Havertz headed goal. Uh, but that wasn't really the big news of the weekend for Chelsea, even though it was welcome. Wait, wait, wait Alex, come on. Uh, let's uh, wait, on before, Saturday, before you talk about that. No, Javier, oh, we're God doing this. Wait, let's talk no, about no, the game for a second, Alex. No, no, no. We're not talking about the game. You want to talk about your Badia Chile, Alex, his debut? No, we're not, he we're not really talking about that. looked really good on his that. debut. And how about this, Javier? If we go to Anfield and we get a win at Anfield, I'll I'll, I'll be happy to talk about the game. But like the game itself, like 1-0 win over You're Crystal not happy Palace that Badia Chile started and looked really good and... Yeah, he looked good, but we Kepa still had to make a bunch of saves. And Javier, I get it. The main reason you're doing this is because you don't want to talk about what happened on Saturday. No, 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 no. That's it. That's the end of our Chelsea segment. Uh, cut the pot, Alex. Over the space of about an hour or two, uh, as the uh, 10 a.m. games, I think, were, were going on, uh, it was announced that uh, one of the Chelsea owners, uh, Ekbali, was on a private jet with uh, Paul Winstanley, one of the directors of football at Chelsea, uh, to fly to Poland to meet with Shakhtar Donetsk's reps uh, over the transfer of their young talisman, Mikhailo Mudrik. And they came away from that meeting with an uh, agreement in principle, brought Mudrik on the jet back with them and like announced the signing at the game the following Sunday morning, which was wildly weird in and of itself. Uh, but regardless, uh, this was a player that Chelsea were only like tangentially like linked with over the last couple of weeks, it was assumed he was going to be signing for Arsenal for, you know, dating back to there were the no last links. transfer window. There were no links. There were plenty of links, Javier. He only had eyes for this, Arsenal. Alex. What are you talking about? I, I who is Mikhailo Mudrik? You paid a hundred million for some random no-name Ukrainian player from the Ukrainian league who's never done anything before. He only has twelve professional goals, Alex. I don't even know. Like, well, it ever, looks like, like we paid seventy million for a player that you described to me. Not uh, only. Days before the transfer happened, I, I deny this. The next Eden Hazard. No, none of this. I have the receipts. If you if you make me, I will post screenshots of our text conversations, Javier. You put it in writing, not me. And uh, <laughs> so yeah, he, uh, Chelsea got themselves a Ukrainian oh, no. Eden Hazard. But Javier, so I do. I do your, think he'll be a fantastic your player, aside, Alex. You're, you're top of Fuck. the league. You've just beaten Tottenham in the North yeah. London Derby. Put your bitterness aside for a second. And tell me how good is Mikhailo Modric? How, how how excited should I be? So I think the the most exciting thing for when I thought Arsenal were going to get him is that he looks like he's physically ready for 
a league like the Premier League. You know, he's been playing in the Ukrainian league, and a lot of the, these players who come from other leagues, they're super skinny. You know, they're not really in like great shape or whatever. Mudrik looks like he's just shredded, ready to go. He looks really strong on the ball. Um, looks like he has you know really good dribbling, incredible pace. I mean, he's going to be one of the fastest players in the Premier League. You know, up there with Darwin Nunez and you know Martinelli and you know uh, uh, who else do you put up there, Alex? Who who are the quickest players? Holland. Holland. When he gets, when he gets uh, going. out of steam. Yeah. He's very quick. But I think you're you're going to put Mudrik Marcus up there. Rashford. Yeah, Marcus Rashford. I think you're going to put Mikel Mudrik up there because when he gets ahead of steam, you know, there's not going to be anyone who's going to catch him. So. He hasn't played on a team that has anything close to the quality or the, the, the talent or the stars that Chelsea have. So it's going to be very interesting to see how he meshes with that. It seems like he already has the personality for it. I mean, you see the guy has, you know, neck and face tattoos and just I, I think he already has a kid. Like, I mean, he's obviously he's he's coming. He's, he's already a full grown man. You know, he's 22 years old. But this guy, it feels like he's going to hit the ground running, you know. I thought the same. I don't thing even with Gakbo, think he necessarily needs to hit the ground running. Like he doesn't need to. No, be but Chelsea gave him an eight and a half year right deal away. for you know two hundred thousand a week plus. Uh, you know the man's going to be getting paid for the rest of his life. He set. You know this is a ninety million dollar plus contract, uh, ninety million pound plus contract. But you know this he's going to be making over a hundred million dollars. Is it going to be worth it? You know, over his the eight and a half he's, year contract. That was the fee that was paid to Shakhtar. He no, he's not no, no, no. That. He, he's given an eight and a half year deal, around two hundred thousand right. a week, which comes out to two hundred thousand a week is ten million a year, ten million pounds a year. I I haven't seen the wages and anything uh, well, confirmed yet. If you're, it's, if it's you're, still like they just agreed it the yeah, other yeah, day. Yeah, yeah, You know. Well, we'll, we'll we we can talk about that when that's more. You know, when we when we see more concrete, concrete sure. sources about that. I'm just meaning like in terms of what he he provides right now for Chelsea, who, you know, other than the win against Palace, we were in terrible form. We like the no, player we had just brought in you, before that, Felix, boost, is out for a I month. Just, I don't see why suspension. Chelsea. I mean, I think you did it because it's available. You had money burning in your pocket. You know, you, you were taking this player basically from a direct rival. Um, but I think for Chelsea, it wasn't a player you needed. You have players like Callum Hudson-Odoi on loan. Okay, so it it is a player we needed because we have one of the most anemic attacks in the Premier League. Like, yes, on paper, there are players that like Pulisic and Ziyech and Havertz that people like and we have spent big money on in the past. But the big problem with Chelsea is that those players haven't lived up to expectations. Like you won the Champions League with these players. Yeah, but our expectation is to not just win like the Champions League, it's to like challenge for the Premier League. They're so. all still in their like mid-20s. So it's not like these players are all suddenly shit. I'm pretty sure when these players like Pulisic and Ziyech and you know, uh, Havertz go to other clubs, they're all going to play well. I don't know if that's just like a product of them being from the Abramovich era and it being like it, you notice something, I'm sure, as a United fan, as an Arsenal fan as well. You know, there was a big difference between the players who were there before during the Wenger era and finally getting those players all out of the club and just a fresh outlook, players who have a new, like, you know, mental, like, ambition and uh, mentality going forward, knowing what they're going to, you know, get with the club. These are probably a lot of these players who are there now are probably unsure of the future, you know, don't know what the club is going to look like, don't know if they're going to be there in the next couple of years. So this was something that I thought was going to be you know, weighing on Chelsea players throughout the season at the beginning of the season. I think it's something weighing on them now. 
Um, you know, I think a lot of these Chelsea players are kind of they weren't expected to get Thomas Tuchel sacked midseason, you know, uh, or early in the season. Potter to come in a month into the season. Yeah, yeah. it's just it's just it doesn't feel like you know I. I think for a lot of the players, they're getting scapegoated here because there's been so oh, much. Don't, don't pull that. No, there's been so much. They, they are chaos like, at the club, though. There's been there's been manager change. There's been uh, chairman change. There's been a port of directors change, owner change. You, I, I, we, I like. I knew the season was going to be a watch for Chelsea. You didn't think so. You didn't see that. But like, I think most people from well, the yeah, outside I mean, could did, see that did this you think was Thomas to... Tuchel was going to get fired. No, but I even thought with Thomas season? Tuchel, it wasn't going to be. It was going to be a rocky season. Would, do you think it would be this bad? Like we, our position would be this bad in the league if we had just kept Tuchel and the owners had not been such. No, I you think know, you'd be better so off. So trigger happy. No, I think you'd be yeah, better absolutely. off. Absolutely. So sure. do I. I think you would have turned it around by now. But I think. But this sacking has been, this Potter, has been a trend for multiple seasons. Bringing in Potter, changing all the tactics. Like, like you, you got to feel for some of the players. You know. It's they 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 were under a system for the last two years where they succeeded. They won the Champions League. They got Champions League both years under Tuchel, and then suddenly they have to play under a manager who's never been in the Champions League before. Tactically, I'm sure is nowhere close to the level of of Thomas Tuchel, you know. So I'm sure some of the players don't like being under Potter. Like you have to see it from their point of view too. So. I get why you're saying all oh, these players don't need to be here anymore. You and everything, also, but like, you also have these to are fucking Chelsea players like that you have on a dude. bunch of on a bu- like long term contracts. You can't just buy Lukaku and all these players and then get rid of them because they don't perform for a year or for like half a season. You know, it's 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 to me it's 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 bullshit that Chelsea can do that or that you guys feel like you can do that that you can just buy players, have seven, eight, nine players on huge wages in these positions, and then just get rid of them as you please for pennies i mean we'll see how you do it before i mean you had you had marina selling these players at great prices we'll see if chelsea can continue that like trend in the past I mean, but th- there's going to be a huge like clear out in the summer regardless of uh whether they sell players like Angolo Conte and Jorginho their contracts are just up at the end of the season they'll probably be moved on and new players will be brought in it's it's gonna it's gonna be a whole transition from those players who played mainly under Conte, Sarri, Lampard and Tuchel and like all were kind of brought in at different points by those four managers it's going to be moving on a lot of those players keeping like the obviously the big academy players like Mount and, and Reese James but you know even a player like Kovacic who's been one of the, the better of those senior players he might not he might be gone in the summer if we're trying to bring in players like Enzo Fernandez or Moises Saicedo and uh, maybe even Declan Rice the, the, the players are just going to have to move on if uh, if that's what the new owners want to do and do a complete refresh. So this this seems like the first of those kinds of moves, the first big move of those kinds of moves, just getting it done as soon as possible, keeping a, a rival from, from getting a player like that. Uh, it's not a move about getting Chelsea back into like the top four conversation or anything this year. That's that's gone, obviously. It's it's for many, many years in the future. And the eight year deal proves that so. No, I mean, I, I would say it might be the start. It might be the start of, you know, a good, you know, series of signings that Chelsea need to, to turn this team around. I think you'll need a, a fire sale in the summer, get rid of a bunch of players, bring in players that Potter wants in his system, and you're going to have to keep faith in him. That There's no reason for you to ta- sack Tuchel unless you're going to keep Potter through whatever happens this season. You know, if you finish 12th, it doesn't fucking matter. You know, if you finish 12th, crash out of Champions League, you figure out the players that that are going to fit work for Potter and that are that want to be there. Um, and then you you just, you know, 
spend a shitload of money, sell a lot of players in the summer, and then see what Potter can do with a fresh team. I think that'll be uh, the real judge of him because this season for me is is kind of a wash. In these, but you're right, this is the type of player for the future, and I think we'll get exciting glimpses of him this season, especially in Champions League. Yeah, can't wait for that. All right, that's more than enough talk about Chelsea. Uh, Javier, thank you for jumping on this one. Very much appreciated, and uh, you know, congrats on Arsenal winning the league. Um, it's not a jinx. No, no, no. no I'm definitely Shut not the a hell reverse up, jinx Alex. Don't ever definitely say that reverse shit jinx again. Attempt. We're not winning the league. <laughs> City are winning the league. We're Eight points clear in January, and he's, he doesn't think he's winning the league. We, uh, we've only met one of my three conditions, Alex. We have to. We, we did beat Still Tottenham to beat away. City, yeah. We have to beat City, and then we have to either win at, at away at Newcastle, or we have to draw at the Etihad. So we need like one of those two. Okay. And uh, those are going to be at the pivotal end of the season. So I need to see. It's going to be a while. I think I think there's going to be teams in and around us. I don't think we're going to keep just winning every game continuously. I don't know. Hedging. I like it. <laughs> I don't think we can. All right. If you want to follow Javier on Twitter, you can follow him at JavierRev9. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at ASMoss92. And you can follow the podcast social media accounts at GhostGoalPod. Like I mentioned throughout the pod, there's a whole host of uh, games to keep an eye out for uh, later this week. Uh, you've got Thursday, Manchester City Spurs. Uh, Saturday morning, Liverpool Chelsea. Uh, you got Arsenal Manchester United on Sunday at 11.30 a.m. So uh, enjoy those games. And until next time, see you.